Next week, Lincoln Library and Museum in Springfield is going to host a virtual book club for the book called Slanted, How an Asian American Troublemaker Took on the Supreme Court. Uh, I read the book this weekend. Uh, it's a fascinating book. It talks about how an Asian, American-born Asian uh, man who was a bassist in a band called the Slants filed an application to the patent office to register the mark the Slants. And what ensued, of course, was a battle culminating in a landmark First Amendment victory in the Supreme Court. And with us uh, today is the author of the book, musician, social activist, and troublemaker, Simon Tam. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm not so sure I'm more excited about having a rock star on my show or a litigation star. Which one is, is, which one is more important to you at this point? I think for me, it's the music, making yeah. art. I, the law stuff just came by accident. Yeah, right, right. Um, so you were, your book is, is great. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's on Amazon, of course, Slanted, How an Asian-American Troublemaker Took on the Supreme Court. Um, you were born and raised in San Diego. You were born here. Your parents came to the U.S. from China and Taiwan. Uh, at 13, you started your own record label, and then you started a band called The Slants. And can you at least describe a little bit about how you got from being a band and doing your music to going to the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, no one starts a band thinking they're going to end up going to the Supreme (laughs) Court. Uh, I say it's an accident because, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions uh, as a musician, making sure that we were doing everything we needed to do to protect our music and to protect our name. When I applied for the trademark, that was when the kind of trouble with the government ensued. And it was because the government said that I couldn't use it since there was an old uh, law that was passed in the 1940s that prevented people from registering marks that the government considered to be scandalous, immoral, or disparaging. I never thought it was a disparaging thing or even scandalous, to be frank. We had been using the mark for a few years, and the Asian-American community loved what we were doing, but the government was afraid that someone would be offended by it, and therefore they decided to deny us that right. And, you know, when we started uh, trying to appeal that process, well, that took us down a whole unexpected path to the Supreme Court. So let's just clarify a couple things from a legal standpoint, and you make this clear in your book. Um, you could use the name The Slants as your band. The, the, the question that, that, that came up from a legal standpoint is, can you register it, which gives it extra protection, right? So it wasn't just the right to use it. It was the right to protect the name. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And, in, you know, it's kind of interesting because trademark law is something that uh, it's, for a lot of people, it's really confusing because you actually, the the right for protection isn't something the government is supposed to give you. You're supposed to earn it through using a mark that's really unique. And the more you use it, the more protection you're supposed to have. Let's talk just before we go to break uh, about why you chose the name Slants. And it's, it's an all-Asian band. And you, you've you done a lot of social justice work in schools and uh, promoting, you know, a, a, the anti-bullying of Asians and so many causes. And you, but yet I feel like that is a derogatory word. Is it not? 
I think words are interesting in that the definition really depends on the person using them as well as the person receiving it. And the cool thing about it, just like art and music, is that we can kind of reappropriate or change our relationship with them. Kind of like the word queer, you know, when I was growing up, it was extremely offensive, but now it's oftentimes the preferred nomenclature mm. of those in the LGBTQ community. You can say, you know what, I'm not going to take this and be offended by it. I'm, in fact, I'm going to own this and be empowered by it instead. And, and that, so that's, that's something that... And I didn't invent this process. Like Asian Americans had been using it in kind of this self-identifying way for about 30 years before we named our band that. Interesting. So uh, when we come back, we're going to first listen to a little bit of your music uh, that I pulled off the Internet. And then we're going to talk about the battle and how uh, how it affected you and, and how and where you came in the eight years that it took you to get to the U.S. Supreme Court and become kind of an unlikely litigation hero. We're here with Simon Tam, author of the book Slanted, How an Asian American Troublemaker Took on the Supreme Court. You're listening to WGN. That's a little uh, soundbite from the band The Slants. We have the bassist, Simon Tam, uh, on the air, and he's talking about his uh, climb to the Supreme Court to have his name registered, Slants. And Simon, um, one of the things that's really interesting is that the red, the registration office, the patent registration office, had registered other um, words and trade names with the word slant. Is that correct? Yeah, about 800 of them, actually. <laughs> but why were you different, according to the, the uh, attorneys at the office? According to them, I was too Asian to mark. And in other words, if people saw, you know, the words of the slants and then they saw my face or the faces of my band members, they would automatically assume this, you know, racial slur or stereotype instead of any other definition in the dictionary. And so therefore, uh, we were considered too Asian because we actually couldn't change our faces. We couldn't change what they call as the, the imagery of a trademark. The irony here, the the level of ironies, the levels of irony. I mean, the idea that that they would register slant, but not for an Asian person. I mean, they said that that's to correct. you. They said that. Like, I mean, if that's not discriminatory, what is right? <laughs> Just, I, yeah. If uh, if I was not who I am, then I probably wouldn't have had any issues with this whatsoever. What are some of the other uh, registrations that that were difficult? And you talk about it in your book, like, for instance, uh, dikes on bikes and some of the other um, registration. What what did did you see a pattern in how the registration office was allowing certain uh, what might be deemed to be offensive uh, trade names? Yeah. So there were a couple of legal scholars that did studies on the law that was kind of being used to deny me my rights. And when they actually surveyed the entirety of the process, it turns out that the majority of the people that the law was being used against were members of the LGBTQ, kind of like Bikes and Bikes, this lesbian motorcycle club, as well as people of color. So people who tend to reappropriate language and say, you know what, I'm going to co-opt this uh, slur or this derogatory term used against me and either use some kind of irony or satire or even empowering kind of approach to using that term. And that's kind of 
will end up happening because as i mentioned earlier you know people have different relationships with words and those who are not men the race or gender or sexual orientation kind of got the benefit of the doubt but those people who were they're like oh you're doing this it's too controversial we can't have that and they ultimately denied us those rights you know and as a lawyer and i don't do this kind of work simon but it just so it so reeks of first amendment issues because as we all know and as we all grow up in this country we know that even offensive even very offensive language is protected uh, under our first amendment and when you have a lawyer sitting at a desk at the patent office saying uh uh-uh, this is too offensive because he's asian it just reeks of a wrong but you go all the way up to the Supreme Court. It takes you eight years. It, uh, you had a lot of good lawyers along the way who, who worked uh, for some money, but some not, didn't work for any money. And what did the Supreme Court say? In, in your words, what did they say to this law and to your cause? Well, they ultimately struck it down. And you're right in that saying that, you know, it was unconstitutional because of the First Amendment. They said this, that the law constituted what they call viewpoint discrimination. In other words, the government can't say some things are good, some opinions are good, and some words are bad, and we're only going to protect the good stuff. And in doing so, you know, kind of draw arbitrary lines based on people's beliefs or their uh, their own kind of practices in terms of with, with language. So ultimately, it just didn't hold any water before the Supreme Court. Every single justice uh, ruled in our favor. Unanimous, which is, you know, both sides of the proverbial aisle, even though we know that justices are not political. Uh, it was it was a unanimous <laughs> verdict. And, um, and and it wasn't just for your cause. It, they struck down the entire disparagement clause, did they not? That's correct. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit more broad than yeah. than if they would have just said, hey, you know what, in this instance, the trademark office was wrong, but the is actually good. They went and said that entire law was bad. And then the following year, they actually struck down the rest of the law, which, you know, was the scandalous and immoral part of it. And so what do you think long term is the effect? And, you know, I I argued before the United States Supreme Court many years ago, and I realized when you're there, you're not you're arguing for your client. Yes, you are. And you want to win for your client. But you're really arguing at a higher level. You're arguing for other people who are going to come after you because you're at a branch of government here. You know, we have the the president, the executive branch. We've got the the Congress who are legislating. And this is the this is the third branch who's deciding if our laws hold up under the Constitution. Have you thought about how this decision and your plight here is going to impact people, artists, um, people trying to register trade names in the future? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I thought about it all the way up. uh, But what ends up happening with with my case and the case that followed, which was called Enri Brunetti, uh, what it basically stated is that the government can no longer decide like what's good or bad when it comes to language around a trademark. They can only decide whether it actually meets the criteria for being a trademark. So it's actually now it's a lot more consistent with copyright and patent law because they can't go around and say like, you know what, that film or that book says bad things, so we're not going to allow it to be protected. Uh, that's not what them it's all about it's that we have a right to absolutely express ourselves and the government can't determine whether they like the message or not 
do you uh you know all along the way and in this book it's it's a long process and and you're not it's not like you're just doing this i mean you have a band and you're traveling all over and you're trying to be successful at what you're doing and and you're trying to have a social life and a love life and and all the things that you do in your life but there's this this pervasive force of, of you pushing to get this to get this changed what what motivated you? I mean, at any point you could have just dropped it, right? What what made you just sit, keep keep going on this one? I think ultimately I didn't want any other person to have to go through the same experience I did. I mean, at the end of the day, it was annoying, yes, but it was also extremely degrading for someone else to tell me that I was being offensive to my own community, that I couldn't figure out what was best for myself. It's, uh, I, I just found it, extremely frustrating and I didn't want anyone else to ever have to go through that again. You know, you talk in your book about your parents who um, came to this country and worked very hard in the restaurant business, and they wanted you to go to college. I don't know if they wanted you to be a professional, and you kind of took that music route. And uh, I'm just curious, what do they think about your plight here in the U.S. Supreme Court? Did they understand your motivation, and are they proud of you for what you've done? I think it took them a little bit to understand <laughs> what it meant. You know, originally my father, when he learned that I was fighting against the government, he was afraid that I was going to be locked up, that oh. I'd be in trouble because, you know, our family came from communist China and he actually escaped it. And so <laughs> they don't have freedom of speech there. You say the wrong thing, you can end up in jail. And I told him, I was like, Dad, if they put me in jail, the government's going to be in even more trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so... Uh, you know, once I actually won and he understood what actually happened, he ultimately said he was proud that, you know, I stuck to my guns and that, that we did this for our community. And that's one of the things I was just talking about, these mask mandates and the like. And, and I, 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 my theory on this is that, and I have traveled all over the world. I've been to Vietnam and Morocco and, and different places. And we're used to, you're right. Uh, there's, you know, you, they always say, yeah, you have freedom of speech, but you may not be free after you say it. So, um, we are so lucky to have those things that we take them for granted. And then we're asked to do one thing like wear a mask or get a vaccine. I think people are very offended because we have so much freedom that we take it for granted. And um, it's interesting, you know, where your father came from. Uh, he was he had actual concerns about how you would be, you know, not 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 see the light of day from for asserting your rights. Um you know, just talking a little bit about the Asian issues, and this book really kind of woke me up a little bit about um, this. I, I want to just read a, a, a part of a paragraph. Um, the term white privilege has received pushback in the past decade, both because it creates discomfort for those not used to being defined by their race and because some, especially poor rural whites, feel like privilege implies a lack of struggle. But it isn't that. It's the power of normalcy, which can be something as basic as having hair products or groceries uh, catered to the cultural tradition, traditions of most white people. It's the ability to receive the benefit of the doubt rather than being seen as representatives or a stereotyped racial uh, identity. And, you know, you talk about this this one instance where you go with your friends to a restaurant, I'm going to paraphrase it, and it's a Japanese sushi restaurant. And one of your friends, can you tell the story briefly? It's just a really an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, so that is actually uh, someone I was dating at the time and meeting her father for the first time. And the father, you know, when we, when we sit down, I'm trying to make a good impression. I mean, he says, hey, um, Simon, you, you're the expert here, so why don't you ho order for all of us? 
And I was just like, okay, uh, you know, I don't really know what you like, so why don't I get a little bit of a few different things, and we'll go from there. He says, yeah, but I want you to order in your language. And it was just that <laughs> moment. I'm like, but English is my language. <laughs> like, what, what, I'm like, what, what do you expect? And also, my parents are Japanese and Taiwanese, and sushi is Japanese. You know, it's all different. And so, of course, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I explained, like, I actually, you know, I grew up with a a little bit of Mandarin and Taiwanese, but this is Japanese. And he's just like, oh, but it's all the same, right? (laughs) You know, and it's just one of those things that I was like, I wish that um, the, the presumption wasn't that I didn't belong here. The presumption wasn't that I didn't even speak English as my first or or anything else it was just like i wanted to just be able to sit down and enjoy the meal and get to know this person and and yet we're kind of grappling with these kind of racial issues and the the irony of the whole thing was the server ended up being from northern china so i could ask her in mandarin if i wanted to but you know, that's not the point of the whole thing <laughs> well it just you know and again i don't think everybody who says things like that they mean them in a bad way but it, it, there's an offensive, there's an offensive part of the idea that you're, you're other, you know, you look different. So we have to treat you like another person. And I think it's a good message for all of us. I really recommend this book. It's an easy read. And because, um, Simon's not a lawyer, the, the legal stuff is explained really, really well. Slanted how an Asian American troublemaker took on the Supreme Court. And then you can go to the Lincoln, uh, library at President Lincoln, uh, Illinois.gov. The event is on August 9th from 6 to 7.30. It's a book club where it's going to be discussed, and uh, I think I'm going to try to join in on that. Uh, Simon, thank you. And where's, where is your band playing in the next month or so? Well, uh, I think because of the condition of the country, we don't actually have any gigs coming up. But, uh, you know, so doing that event in Springfield was a very, very special event when we were there recently. Uh, but folks can definitely follow us and see what we're up to uh, and hopefully that'll change sooner than later. Simon, thank you so much. Simon Tam uh, of the band The Slants, uh, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Thanks so much for having me.